this edition of Tech on Fire with Blaze, the podcast. Today we're going to be looking at what is new on Microsoft Azure, as well as doing our first tech autopsy, this time on Microsoft Silverlight. Now, we have a few announcements on Microsoft Azure, because this is the week before Build, and Build typically will cause a lot of teams to want to publish changes before Build. And there will also be a ton of announcements next week about what is new on Azure and other things on Microsoft, including Office 365, Dynamics 365, and a number of other uh, offerings that are available from Microsoft, but we focus principally on Azure here. But in any case, let's look at what is new on Azure. So first, Microsoft is has Azure monitoring logs available in the Azure Gov region for Arizona. And this is a new feature that Microsoft has been adding more monitoring to Gov in Arizona prior to this. It's mostly been up in the Virginia region and not available entirely in the Arizona region, but they're incorporating a lot more features into the Gov region in Arizona. Another announcement's made in SQL. SQL audit uh, for uh, storage accounts behind virtual networks and firewalls is now available, which is a nice uh, availability for something that wasn't previously available on uh, SQL auditing outside of that. Um, particular context where you didn't know if you had a firewall SQL, uh, you couldn't do that before, but now they've added that because they needed the, the ability to uh, penetrate through the firewalls and you have the Microsoft Azure control plane be able to access the uh, database uh, that wasn't previously available unless you had uh, some kind of exposure, but now it's available uh, through that feature. Also, another really cool feature that I really am appreciative of is virtual machine disk level bursting. And what this allows you to do is have bursting up to a certain threshold on disk without having to over provision them. And a disk on Azure is typically throttled based on the size of the disk and the size of the virtual machine that's running it. And the smaller disks typically have lower bandwidth available to them and lower throughput in terms of simple throughput and uh, IOPS per second or input output operations per second. And what this allows you to do is be able to use smaller disks without having to have the larger pay for a larger capacity just to get the available throughput on those disks. And so this feature will allow you to do short bursts of activity on disks whenever the demand is put against those disks without having to actually pay for a larger uh, tier in that disk. So that's a much needed and much uh, desired feature inside of VMs for that. Um, also made available was a private link for VentGrid. Now VentGrid is a messaging platform for uh, all kinds of things all over Azure. It's designed for routing messages between uh, different kinds of services, not so much like a service bus, which is more of a message broker. This is more of a, a routing message system that allows you to send things between different things when certain things happen in different Azure resources, such as IoT or VMs or something like that. And now that it's in private link, that means that it can be attached to a private network such as a VNet and it can be accessed over something like a VPN or an express route without having to traverse the public internet to, uh, to get that. Another option 
that is uh, available now is optional uptime SLAs are available on uh, AKS and uptime SLAs uh, are, are the ability to have uh, to guarantee uptimes for particular uh, services available here. And the, these are financially backed SLA guarantees up to 99.95% on uh, the Kubernetes API server. So basically uh, being able to increase the availability of the actual uh, Kubernetes APIs on Microsoft Azure, which is the ability to have the uh, freemium type experience with AKS, for which up to this point would uh, not guarantee those levels of SLAs for the APIs. And the VMs themselves and the apps running on those VMs had a different SLA than the APIs uh, did, but now they're increasing the uh, availability on those SLAs as well. So this looks like all that has been made uh, announced this week on Microsoft Azure. Now we'll jump right into our main story where we're going to do our tech autopsy on Microsoft Silverlight. So for our main story today, we're going to be taking a look at Microsoft Silverlight and looking at this venerable framework that made a big impact on the internet, even though it had a very short life. And we're going to be doing a tech autopsy on it, as I've called it to understand what this framework was and why it was so popular and then looking at why it died and figuring out what were the factors that ultimately resulted in its untimely demise in my opinion. Well, Silverlight first was a framework for developing rich internet applications. Now, a rich internet application was an app that was was an app designation that was given to applications that typically delivered a experience of an application that you might expect from a desktop application, but it ran in the context of a browser. And at the time of Silverlight's launch, there were plugins available for writing rich internet applications such as Java, and we also had Flash. And both of those had been around for the better part of 10 years, and Java was known for being a slow, clunky flame framework that could run in the browser through plugins, and Flash was pretty much known for doing things like making animations and games online, so a lot of businesses even were developed around developing flash games and flash videos and flash animations that were in their heyday during the late 90s and early 2000s. Now Silverlight came on the scene as an answer to these from the Microsoft's camp which really had never developed anything like it before but it really did make a big impact because of what it did offer. One it was based on .NET which means that it could be easily developed using familiar uh, languages like C-sharp and VB. And because of that, it was widely adopted by enterprises for developing line of business applications. And it used a number of the same patterns that were familiar to developers at the time inside of the browser uh, context so that they could take the skills that they already had for developing data binding application, data bound applications and WPF based applications. And a lot of these kinds of familiar technologies in C-sharp and use them in the browser context for writing applications. Another appeal of the browser-based applications for Silverlight was the fact that it ran on Mac and Windows. Now, Silverlight was developed as a browser plugin and it worked on browsers that were running on Windows. So it could run in IE, it could run in Chrome, it could run in Firefox. And they developed the same plugin for the Macintosh so it could run in Safari or any other browser that you had 
on a Macintosh platform, which at the time was something unique for any kind of technology coming out of the Microsoft space, wherein you could actually write cross-platform apps that would run on both platforms without having to change any code between them. In fact, you could compile it or run once and run it on either Macintosh or Windows, and you could run it in any browser on Macintosh and Windows, which was a huge boon for applications, especially during the early uh, or in the late 2000s, where the Macintosh was going uh, undergoing a renaissance and was being widely adopted by consumers as a platform of choice because of its ease of use and among other things. Even so, Microsoft really did want to get into cross-platform applications as well, and this was one way to do that. And they wanted to give a deliverable that would allow applications to not only run in the browser, but also out of the browser. So in version three of Silverlight, they launched the out-of-browser feature, which allowed applications to be installed out of sight of the browser in a way that would allow the user to launch the application just like a native uh, out of browser application would that they would otherwise launch from the start menu or from the app drawer or anything like that rather than having to pull up a website to do the exact same thing. And it also allowed the applications to be run offline so they didn't need an internet connection. And that was one feature that I really took advantage of when I was writing applications in Silverlight because it really made delivering applications for Macintosh and Windows, which was pr pretty much the 99 percentile of my users, easy to do because you could simply right click on the plugin, install locally, and then it popped up with a browser icon right there. And that was a very easy way to distribute applications that we were writing uh, that were line of business applications at the time for the organization I was writing at the time. Now, all of these features really made it a very easy sell for developers. And as a result, the kind of thing that happened after that was wide adoption by the, the world at large, not just uh, businesses and enterprise, but by consumers as well. Because this is also the same time when media streaming services were kind of in their infancy and they were looking for platforms on how to stream video over the internet inside of a browser while HTML5 didn't really have support for that yet. So they were turning to plugins to do that. Flash was one way to do that as well as Silverlight. And Silverlight was used by a lot of companies for delivering video over the internet that was a better quality than you might what other get otherwise get from having to download a video and having to play it back. It allows you to do it on demand in a browser without having any have any kind of additional software, which made the ability to create a streaming service possible. Uh, even so though, it was a short-lived product because in five years after its launch in 2007, in 2012, Microsoft deprecated the Silverlight plugin in favor of HTML5. So we're going to look into ultimately what was the factors that resulted in the demise of Silverlight and HTML5 is one of those as mentioned already, but we're going to look at this at a deeper level and really try to understand not only the, the technology, but also some of the organizational things that were going on at Microsoft at the time that really resulted in the demise of Silverlight. My experience with Silverlight really was a serendipity of a lot of different things. At the time, it was in its stride. It was around 2009, and a friend of mine who worked in the finance division of the organization I was with at the time came into my office, and he was asking me for help on a solution that they were trying to create for the 
purpose of collecting uh, financial information and the strategy that he was employing was using something like access uh, databases and using uh, access forms uh, to do to collect information from non-technical people and then having to figure out all of the associated reporting documentation by way of scanning in images and taking snapshots of receipts and these kinds of things. And this is a globally distributed workforce on uh, six continents and the, with some of them having less than stellar connections. And this solution was supposed to be used on a disparity of different kinds of hardware, you know, Macintosh on Windows. And the idea with it was that it needed to be able to run offline. So these uh, kinds of requirements were brought to me and I'm like, and, and he was wanting some help trying to solve some of these access forms. And I, I kind of looked at it that's like, this is never going to fly. You're going to have nothing but trouble with it because the delivery mechanism where this was all going to be done through email as like, it's never going to fly. You're going to have to have a ton of man hours just to sort out all of this uh, paperwork. And then you're going to have compatibility issues with trying to run this access database on multiple versions of access. And it may not even work on a Mac. Uh, and it's also going to require an, an office license among uh, many other factors. And I, I just kind of looked at him and said, what are you trying to do here? And um, I then went to the drawing board and I started trying to write down his requirements. And I said, let me come up with something for you let, and I'll come, I'll get to get back with me in, in a week or so. And, and so I went to work trying to figure out how to do this. And the only thing that really kind of rose to the top within the organization that had the uh, ethos of really what we were doing, .NET shop, working in uh, .NET framework, Windows-based servers, and all this kind of infrastructure was the, the Silverlight platform. And I looked at the Silverlight platform and I evaluated it. I wrote a quick POC using it. And I took it to the dev manager at the time and I said, hey, uh, we have something on our hands that can make a huge impact on the organization, not only for uh, the the ability to do make our, our operations more efficient, but it's also going to save us a lot of headaches down the road too when we're called in to support something that the finance guys are rolling and we don't really even know about it. The dev manager looked at me and said, what is it? And I explained the problem to him. And then we went down to the uh, manager of the finance department and we got a meeting of about four or five people and I said, look, if you attempt to do what you're trying to do, it's not going to work. And so we, we started this almost skunk works project to uh, develop this uh, platform for doing this application that would uh, collate all this data and be able to deliver it in a form that was uh, both easy to use, that would work on all these platforms or in a browser and that could be run offline and that would make the work for the actual people that were going to be collating all this data much more efficient. And so uh, we marshaled about two or three other developers into this Skunk Works project, wherein they were writing a processing side for this that was a Windows Form application that the uh, finance office would be using. And I went to work on the Silverlight side, working on the client application in Silverlight, writing all of the uh, infrastructure for that as well, uh, the web services that would consume whatever was outputted by this. And the Silverlight application that I wrote was, I am not particularly proud of the GUI, but it was very easy to use from the perspective of when you're comparing it to something like BB Forms or something like that. And the application went into 
almost went into production uh, as a Skunk Works project. And when the uh, upper echelon of the IT organization got a wind of it, what we were doing, they kind of uh, were ready to slap us on the, the wrist. But then they, when the VP of the finance office came over and said, hey, we really want this application. It's working. Our, our folks love it. It's really helping us do our business. They uh, did a complete 180 on the project and, and gave us a nice attaboy and gave us a pizza party as they typically do in IT development. And the uh, story of this application then became not just a success story for the IT department, but it became a, a successful story uh, for the uh, finance department as well, as they were able to actually reduce their base staffing requirements and save a, a lot of man hours for uh, collating and um, collecting all this financial data that was needed uh, for this particular project. And it became widely used uh, within the organization. And uh, it wasn't without issues, of course, like every application has, it has bugs. But it, even so, the application spawned an entire generation of applications that we were writing, all of them based on Microsoft Serverlite. And that became the adoption. Uh, we adopted that as the primary way of writing applications within the organization at that time. And um, the story of that, though, came to a screeching halt, though, because uh, as we saw, uh, Microsoft did eventually kill off Silverlight. As mentioned, HTML5 was ultimately the technology that probably resulted in the demise of Silverlight, not just Silverlight, but Flash and Java plugins as well, because HTML5 matured. And in 2020, it's easy to look back and kind of look at the early days of the rich internet applications that we saw with things like Flash, JavaScript, and Silverlight as primitive times wherein the technology that was native to the browser was fairly primitive in terms of what we can use today with things like CSS animation, GPU acceleration within those contexts, WebGL, uh, WASM, and HTML5 and all of its APIs, as well as the better support for JavaScript and the better acceleration that JavaScript has on browsers nowadays. Uh, these things are all very much native technologies to most modern browsers, so there's really no need for things like JavaScript, Flash, or Silverlight to shore up the deficiencies in the more native technologies. And I think this is ultimately the technology that killed Silverlight. But does that mean that Silverlight could have not had a life outside of JavaScript, HTML5, and these kinds of technologies that are in the browser? And this is a question that really gets under the hood of the Microsoft inner workings and looks at some of the, uh, what I might call politics or maybe the debates that went on inside of Microsoft around what to do with HTML5 as it emerged and tried to understand what happened uh, and what resulted in the what I think was an untimely demise for a technology that I think was incredibly uh, well thought out and had a lot of potential, even if it didn't have a life inside of the browser. So this really got started around the launch of Windows 
8, which Windows 8 was a rather revolutionary idea for Microsoft. They were getting away from a lot of the common motifs that were familiar to Windows users, like a start menu. Uh, they were trying to think more along the lines of flatter UIs and more touch-oriented user experiences, and they were trying to figure out a way to unify the desktop experience with the more touch-oriented experience and try to figure out an operating system and a experience that would bring these kind of two things together. And as a result of that, there was also some debate on what technology would best be utilized for that that could result in a common user experience, not just in the desktop experience and um, the, the touch experience for something like a tablet, but also on the internet. This was really brought to bear when a former Microsoft product manager by the name of Scott Barnes posted some tweets after some experiences that he had at Microsoft. So in these tweets, he uh, says, and I quote, so after a week at Microsoft HQ, etc., I have a lot of inside info that just practically put into question the future of Silverlight, hashtag WPF. He then remarks, right now there's a faction war inside Microsoft over HTML5 and Silverlight. Oh, and WPF is dead. I mean, it kind of was, but now uh, a funeral. And he goes on to explain that there was an embrace and extend strategy within the context of Microsoft over HTML5. And there was the idea to either take HTML5 standards and specs and JavaScript and write some additional APIs to embrace that as a way of doing things and extend it to allow for more rich applications around these standards or to continue to push the Silverlight way of doing things. Now, Silverlight, as we mentioned, was a browser-based plugin at the time of its inception, and it grew into the uh, platform that you could use for out-of-browser applications, not only on Windows and Mac, but there was apparently a push within the context of Microsoft to want to use it more for more than that. In fact, it was intended to be one of the main drivers for uh, delivering the Windows Phone experience. And Silverlight was intended to be a way to put applications on the Windows Phone and that were easily portable between Windows and the phone and a tablet. And that strategy was uh, adopted for the Windows Phone uh, ultimately, but as far as the way of building applications for the Windows platform, as well as other things moving forward, it seems to have died off within that context with the uh, Microsoft going in favor of more the HTML5 and JavaScript story. Now, all of this was confirmed in an interview that Mary Jo Foley, who writes for CNET in October of 2010, when she did an interview at PDC in Europe with Bob Magilia, who was at that time a VP for Microsoft, uh, she asked him what the future of Silverlight was, more or less. And to that, he answers, and I quote, Silverlight is our development platform for the Windows phone. And he, said, he says it has a, quote, sweet spot in media and line of business applications. This was all but confirmed in an interview that Mary Jo Foley did with Bob Magulia in October of 2010 at PDC in Europe. 
And in this interview, she asks about the future of Silverlight, and Bob's answer to this particular question was that Silverlight is a development platform for the Windows Phone. Silverlight also comes with a few sweet spots, wherein he meaning uh, a couple of things that were niche players for the plugin in media and line of business applications. Now, he goes on to say that our strategy has shifted for Silverlight. And he sees that Silverlight is a cross-platform runtime, but the only true cross-platform technology that's gonna work everywhere is HTML. And in this, he says, but HTML is the only true cross-platform solution for everything, including the Apple iOS platform. So what we see here is a Microsoft VP acknowledging the, uh, the advent of the mobile space with a, the Windows Phone and mention of the iOS platform. And the two platforms that were mainstream at the time were the uh, Android and Apple iOS platform. Both of them launched around 2007, first with the Apple's uh, iPhone and then Android came shortly thereafter. And for the first two or three years of their existence were more niche players within the context of computing. But by 2010, it was pretty clear that mobile was a viable option and was here to stay. And enterprises were having to come up with solutions to meet the demand for apps that were going to be delivered on not just a PC or Macintosh, but also on phones as well. And Windows' answer to that was for their mobile platform was Silverlight on the Windows Phone. And it was still being developed actively for the actual browser as well as the out-of-browser experience. But Microsoft was moving away from this internally looking at how they can get applications for de delivering those not just on their own software, uh, but delivering these on the rise of the ever so popular uh, Macintosh and the ever so popular iPhone. Now, this may have been the story that Microsoft was telling at the time, and it was probably true at the time uh, because the battle between HTML5 and Silverlight were still going on uh, within the walls of Microsoft at the time. However, it changed over the next few months and it became pretty clear that Microsoft was putting a lid on Silverlight in 2011 at Build because Build made no mention of Silverlight. It was just practically radio silence for the entire conference and made no mention of Silverlight and the, si the silence on Silverlight was deafening. And the Build community uh, came out of that conference asking a lot of questions, what's going on with Silverlight? Where is the future of Silverlight? And it was radio silence uh, from Microsoft. And there was a lot of speculation going around as to really what the future of Silverlight might be. And nobody was really sure what was going on at that time. This was all but confirmed in 2011 in September when Scott Barnes posted a video where he said, Silverlight is dead. Silverlight is effing dead. And I know because there's one guy right now whose metrics are to shut down Silverlight as a brand. Most of the team has been split apart and others have left the company altogether. And he goes on to say, there's a reason Scott Guthrie was not on the stage being not on the stage at Microsoft Build. This suspicion became a reality when Microsoft announced in 2012 that they would be deprecating Silverlight 
and they would no longer be doing active development on it. There was security patches applied to it up through 2021, but actively developing on the plugin as a product was no longer going to be the case at Microsoft. And eventually it has suffered from software rot because browsers no longer support the NAPI that it uses to load and a number of other things that don't even make it a viable option even more in the context of modern browsers. So all in all, Microsoft did kill the product and nowadays it has less than 1% of the market share for any kind of website that is actually using Silverlight. Uh, it falls lower than Flash, but still higher than what Java would be. After Silverlight was killed by Microsoft, myself and many developers like myself were a little bit uh, annoyed by Microsoft because of this, because we had invested quite a bit of time, money, and resources in writing Silverlight applications, and we were still using those line of business applications inside of enterprises. And when Microsoft pulled the rug out from this as an option, it really caused a lot of people to become very angry at Microsoft, including myself. I really went on almost an anti-Microsoft spree where I got rid of all Microsoft uh, in, in any context that I was using. I, I, I formatted my machine and put Linux on it. I quit using Microsoft products altogether. I, I just was in a lot of ways annoyed because I could no longer use Silverlight because it was uh, it felt like uh, a political move to get rid of Silverlight and not use it for anything, not so much a technical perspective. And, and it was in many ways technical and uh, political in, in hindsight, but even so, the reaction was that we weren't going to be using this product in the future. It didn't matter if we wanted to or not, even though we might have loved the product, we had to adjust and use something else entirely. And that was HTML5. And going forward, I quickly skilled up on HTML5 and started shifting all of the developers and the organization I was working with uh, to that uh, when I became the application architect uh, at the time and started really pushing for HTML5 development. And so we had to completely retool all of our developers and uh, we adopted Angular and uh, we adopted jQuery and other frameworks like that uh, as, as the way to write applications moving forward. Uh, and we started migrating applications off of Silverlight slowly. Uh, I think the last one that we uh, migrated off of that was that actual application I originally wrote in Silverlight. And because it was so popular, not a lot of people wanted to get rid of it uh, within the organization. And uh, I think it finally uh, sunsetted uh, around 2007. 17 when it was finally put to rest uh, as an application. So it had a rather long life, even though the, the application itself uh, was written almost as a skunk work project within the context of that organization. But now we have moved on and I have come full circle back to the Microsoft space because Microsoft has uh, changed leadership and has uh, adopted a more open stance to open source and has become a major contributor to many open source projects. And for that matter, uh, I have become more of an advocate for Microsoft nowadays because of the, the pivot to more of an open uh, platform and open ecosystem and an openness to open source. And I have really become, an, I've become to appreciate the contributions that Microsoft are making to the open source community and the compute uh, platforms that they provide with Microsoft Azure. <laughs>